Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fail It to Nail It. I'm Ryan Roberts. I'm a therapist. I have a foot in the academic world and a foot in the mental health world. I've done that for about 10 years and trying to combine the two worlds as best I can so I can help students who struggle with mental health. My specialties generally lie in the world of ADHD, executive functioning, trauma, crisis, and mood disorders. I have with me my lovely wife, Lindsay. Lindsay, go ahead and talk about yourself a little bit. Yeah, sure. Hello, I am Lindsay, and I am a health coach. I'm a culinary nutritionist. I am the health and wellness director of our company called Level Up Life, and I have a passion for food. I love making, eating, and teaching people how to make food. And in the nutrition world, I have a passion and specialize in the area of the behavioral side of nutrition as well. So that's a little bit about me. Hey, wonderful. Wonderful. For today, as a preview, we're going to talk a little bit about what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to talk a little bit about who we're trying to help and about who the heck we are and why the heck we care. So, of course, for the namesake, fail it to nail it. A lot of this podcast is going to be focused on how we find success, how we're going to nail things, and the process of how we get there. We're excited about this because so much of what Lindsay and I interact with on a day-to-day is people who are scared of failure. They fear it so greatly, but we don't understand it entirely. We think it's just rejection. We think it's just failure, right? Or lack of trying. And there's so much underneath that. There's so much underneath it. So we wanted to explore that and eventually bring on guests from a lot of different fields, not just her field and not just my field, but bring on lots of other guests to help us dive into this a little bit more. Well, awesome. Well, we wanted to kind of get started by asking a couple of questions that will help you get to know us a little bit better in a hopefully fun way. The first one is, and Ryan, I'll have you answer first, is from level one to 99. How proficient are you in the skills that you're currently working on? Just go ahead and list a few. Yeah, I love this question when you're first talked about it. Um, I thought about the skills I'm working on right now, and it feels like I have to learn a lot of different skills. The one that came to mind first was public speaking. Uh, Every six months or so, I try to learn a new skill. And right now, I'd say I'm level five at public speaking. (laughs) I'm struggling a little bit. It's fun. I'm having a blast with it. Actually, I got past the point where it's super nerve-wracking, so there's that. I would say a level two of ice skating. Uh, I've Grew up a dancer. I love dancing. I try to find some other way to involve that art in my life. And I've kind of started to discover ice dance, but I'm not an ice skater. So kind of looking into that a little bit. And I would say research is probably another one, probably somewhere around the realm of level 50. Um, I understand some aspects of research really well, generally quantitative, of course, in social sciences. So there's some methodologies I can do great with. Um, some statistics I could do great with, but of course there's a field that I just struggle with still. It takes a lot of research. It takes a lot, of, takes a lot of relearning for me. So probably level 50 in research. What about you? Cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I have personally loved to be involved in your leveling up of public speaking and not having to do it myself, but watching you <laughs> improve. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Don't blame uh, you. But yeah. So for me, I would say level one is podcasting. Uh, Considering this is our first episode, I guess if I could say like level 0.5, I would. Um, But level one and level five is Pilates. I've been trying to 
learn Pilates for back. I, back pain I have scoliosis and so Pilates has been really really helpful and I've been doing it for several months now and I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at it <laughs> slowly uh, and then level 70 I would say is cooking plant-based food I've been working on that for what nearly eight years now I think um, to the point where now I can teach classes on it so feeling pretty good about that yeah you teach at Utah Valley University as well. I You're do. very good at it. You get a ton of great feedback with it. Yeah, I love you. it. Okay. Question of mine would be, what unfinished projects do you have? I was thinking about this question, and I want to get back to working on building a kitchen island, which is really giving you something to do because this is something that you wanted to do for me. Uh, but I have to get sure. you, you know, the information to on what I want for my kitchen island. And yeah, it's something that I kind of started and really never finished or really got even close to finishing. And I'd really like to, to start working on that again. What about you? You know, there's a research manuscript I've been trying to publish and some journals are really good at getting back to you. So you submit it and uh, peer reviewed articles, they have researchers that kind of go and they look at it and give feedback and it can take weeks generally months i've heard horror stories of sometimes people getting it back two years later that's rare but way later and sometimes what happens at least with me is when i get it back after a series of edits like six months later it is a little bit tough to stay focus on it when during that period of time i've been focusing on other projects so there's a manuscript i've been meaning to get back to but during the editing process, I kind of picked up some other things. So <laughs> that's one of the things I've been trying to get back to. It's a little bit tough. Yeah, okay. sweet. Awesome. Well, let's go over some things that we want to talk about today because uh, we talk about some of these skills. I think it's a good, a good set of questions, Lindsay, because we have skills we wanted to develop, whether professionally or for fun or whatever it may be, level one, level 99, doesn't really matter. We have things we want to develop and things we want to improve on. And so I imagine our listeners at some point, you're going to see some of these things level up over time, which would be kind of a cool thing to witness. And for our guests, they'll also see, uh, or we'll also talk to our guests rather, and see what they had to go through to level up and the failures that they had to encounter. And as much as we love hearing success stories, we'll be hearing a handful of failure stories too. Like what happened? How did we get through it? And how is that totally okay? Totally fine and totally normalized. So, Lindsay, what does failure mean to you? Yeah, so I would say that failure simply is not accomplishing a desired outcome or what you think is that desired outcome. And it also is just not trying as well. Those are pretty pretty simple definitions of what I think it is, uh, but for right now, I think we'll get into more of the details later and just not accomplishing what you imagined was your desired outcome and then not trying again would be my simple definition of failure. And frankly, I see a lot of people defining failure differently. And I think that's totally fine because there are people that define failure purely as like, did you accomplish your goal or not? And I think there's a lot of reasons why that's healthy. 
and simply as, did you give up? And I think that's a lot of reasons why that's healthy, right? And in my field, I'm particularly biased to a certain set of definitions because I see failure a certain way because I see the hangups a certain way. And so for my clients, the biggest struggles with failure often is inaction. It's often the inability to face the things that they're scared of. That avoidance, that inability to sit in discomfort is what causes a lot of failure. Hmm. And so failure is the inability to deal with distress. Because I feel that once my clients can sit in distress for almost any amount of time, five seconds even, 15 seconds, if they can do some amount of it, they're very successful. They can start their homework. They can talk to a person. But man, those five, 15 seconds are so painful for these kids, these adolescents these days, even young adults. And so when I saw that we're going to talk about this today, I wrote down a bazillion different definitions for failure. But this is the one I kind of landed on for today, at least, because that inaction comes up all the time for a lot of my clients. Hmm. I like that. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, then what is nailing it, right? So we're talking about failing it to nail it, but what is nailing it to you? Oh, man, I thought of a lot of different ways to explain this. And kind of the opposite of what I was saying before with failure is not giving up. So where failure would just be like not taking action like you mentioned or giving up on something that didn't work out the way you expected, nailing it would just simply be not giving up. And I kind of think about it, you know, when do we say that phrase? You nailed it. And I think about uh, playing board games with friends. We play a lot of board games and mm. we teach a lot of board games to people. We don't play very simple board games. Um, I mean, we do on occasion, depending on who we're playing with, but we really like the complex ones. And it requires us to teach rules that sometimes are confusing. And mm. when we're teaching it to new people, they might not be so good the first time that they play. They may not get to the point where they can win the first time that they play because they're learning it. But when they're grasping skills and grasping concepts and then applying the things that they're learning and they're figuring it out, that's when they're nailing it. We're just like, oh yeah, you get, you did it. What's something they were confused about at the beginning. They're like, I don't understand. And then they actually do it in the game. Then, you know, they nailed it. They're putting that effort in. They tried it. They experimented with it. It worked. And that gives them motivation to keep going. Even though it's hard, nailing it helps you to be able to have motivation to keep trying those hard things, even though they might not make sense in the moment. It kind of makes sense with my framework for nailing it, which is the ability to gather data, right? You experience things, you gather data and formulate a new plan. And so sometimes I see people try things and they externalize struggles. They go, all right, I tried it and I can't do anything differently. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes you did the best you can, but that's without the use of data. And so when I see people that are really nailing it, they go out, they try something, they socialize, they try and get a girl's number, whatever it may be. And they go, all right, here's what went right. Here's what went wrong. And I recognize it's no reflection of my character or my worth. Here are the factors as best as I can manage. Here are the factors that I see at play. Here's what I can control. Here's what I can't control. And we go and re-experiment. We try again and we change our approach. 
right? So take the data and we utilize it, make adjustments. That is where I start to see people really nail it. If people are missing any of that component, they see the data, they know what they can change, but they choose not to. Or they make changes, but they're not really willing to face whatever shortcomings there are or whatever variables there are. It can be hard to improve. When they do both, they face these difficult situations or face these difficult emotions and are willing to make adjustments that are uncomfortable based on that. People start to really nail it, I think. And they can grow really fast. You'd be surprised at how quick you can build a habit when you have these two components. That's nailing it to me. I see a theme here of talking about discomfort a lot already. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> you guys are ready oh, for Oh, you'll find, <laughs> yeah, for me, a lot of the time, this distress tolerance or boredom tolerance, it'll come up a lot. That's more of my bias and a lot of what I see. So yeah, it'll come up. Awesome. Okay. Now, we could have named our podcast a lot of different things, but... Why a focus on failure, Lindsay, in your mind? I know we agreed on this together, but in your mind, why is there a focus on the failure? Well, I think for me it's uh, personal because I have had quite a big fear of failure for most of my life. I mean, I'm still working on it to this day. Um, but I think a lot of things changed for me. When you gave me a project, I don't know, within the last year or two, and you recognized that I was struggling with this. And you said, Lindsay, let's try something. Let's make it a goal for you to purposely try to fail every day. And that was like the worst thing you could have ever told me. I was just not looking forward to it. I remember yeah, that. it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and through that experience, I realized, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later, but it wasn't actually the failure that bothered me so much. It was the feeling of discomfort, which we've talked about, obviously, a lot already. And I really, really hated feeling uncomfortable. Um, but once I would set goals to purposefully try to fail, I learned to celebrate failure. And I would come to you and I was like, Ryan, I failed five times today. And that changed and shifted my mindset from failure is a bad thing. So failure is growth. Failure is trying something. And I think that in this world, we need to normalize failure and stop thinking of it as something that's negative. Because, you know, we talk about failure as something that is positive and can help us grow. Uh, but for the most part, when you think of people talking about failure, it's it's negative. It's not something that people want to talk about. And yeah, I think that that's, you know, part of our mission is to be able to help as many people that we can in all areas of life. And in order to grow, in order to for people to feel good about themselves and to, to be able to help them, I think failure and learning about failure, understanding it, accepting it is going to help people overall to be able to live the best life that they can. I love that. If we can destigmatize failure and yes, we're pushing for growth. We really want to succeed. It feels good. Our brains are wired that way. But if we can get people to recognize that the failure really is just a data point along the way and a data point that is manageable and adjustable that gets us there, nothing to fear. Great. 
we'll still feel the fear because there's something we care about there. Maybe that's something we'll talk about if we have time. But we'll feel that fear nonetheless, but it's overcomable. We want the success. We want to feel good. That's fine. But we can't, a lot of people can't deal with the cost of failure. And you and I want to say that cost, totally doable, and it's a pretty cheap cost in some cases. Certainly. At least socially, culturally, we can make this work. We want to do it in a wise way. We want to do it in a very data-driven way. We want it very thoughtful and methodical. We think it's doable. So we're here to help with that. All right. So now we talked a little bit more about our podcasts and the things we're thinking about, some of our philosophies. I want to ask some more direct questions, okay? The first one is, why do you think people struggle so much with failure? So we're getting more into the meat of it. What is the struggle? Um, you know, I hate to be super repetitive, but I would say that the struggle is the discomfort that comes along with it. It's, you know, the fear of failure it's not actually being scared of failing like we've talked about before. It's being scared of how other people are going to see you. It's being uncomfortable or being scared of how you're going to feel about yourself. And you just don't want to experience the feeling of failure. And that discomfort, I think, is why so many people struggle with it because you can't really experience failure without feeling some amount of discomfort. And um, we also, I think, tend to th think that we, when we fail at something, that we are a failure internally. We're the failure. Yes. Instead of thinking, okay, so we may have failed at uh, learning to ride a bike the first time, but that doesn't mean that internally we are failures. And so I think that it, once we can start to separate it from the actual event or the activity versus who we are as a person and who our, what our character is and what our values are, then it can become easier to accept and understand failure. But a lot of the times we kind of think about it as we're failures and it can be kind of hard to, hard to think of yourself as a failure. And that's uncomfortable. I think you hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways. Like I said earlier, I combined academics and mental health a lot. Mm -hmm. And what I see is a lot of students take something like their academic performance and attach it to their value. A lot of us are aware of this and a lot of us have experienced this. But the tough thing here is it's reinforced. A lot of people praise kids for doing well academically. They look around and they see socially people are talking about and praising the students that are performing well. And it's almost feeling like, oh my gosh, culturally, this is what it looks like to be accepted. Oh my gosh, culturally, this is what it looks like to be loved and have friends. And a lot of my clients have this skewed perception of, well, if I'm not X, Y, and Z, if I am not muscular, if I'm not smart, if I'm not very charismatic, people will not like me and the reality is most people don't care <laughs> they care about how you make them feel right yep. and as much as we teach this principle of when in your interactions if you make them feel good and you make them feel important this will be a topic for another day but 
this is a really huge guiding principle of human interactions. They may not care. They may care very little about your academic prowess. They may care very little about a lot of other things. But we, as humans, cannot seem to get that out of our head. It's reinforced in a lot of ways in our culture. A lot of it comes from parents. And so at some point, I see these students do exactly what you're talking about. They initially feel like they need connection. Sure, that's normal. But how do I get that connection? Man, I've got to do all the school, because if I don't, connection pulls away. Love gets pulled away. And then eventually it goes, well, if I'm not good at school, I'm not worth anything. Opening at school means I'm a failure. Failure equals incompatible with love. Right? And we do this with a lot of things. You do it, I do it. We attach certain virtues and certain values, certain activities to certain characteristics. And so when people fear failure, a lot of the times I think is they are fearing disconnection from other people. Now there's some other things they could fear as well. People do want to grow, they do want to improve, they do want to have fun. But I think a lot of the time, a good chunk of the time, they fear disconnecting. They fear not having connection or love or affection. And it's tied to certain activities or certain traits. Hmm. That's where I fall, but that's more of a mental health perspective. Oh, I really like it because I think you did a workshop recently and some parents struggle with kids that have ADHD. You did an ADHD workshop. And um, if they have siblings, you know, there's the siblings... Um, in comparison to the kids with ADHD might get oh, praised for all of these things that the kids with ADHD struggle so much with. And so oh. they just immediately, you know, there's that divide and there's that separation between the two of them. And so I imagine there's something like similar going on where they're comparing themselves to their siblings who are getting praised for all these things that they can't, they can't do. They don't have the skills to be able to work through. And um, it, it brings it back to my experience with your activity where you normalized praise for failure and where normally it's always praise for success and praise for the end results and not praise for the process of failing to get there. And so all the kids can see is, oh, well, that, that kid did their homework and I can't do my homework, so I must not be good enough. Um, I must not be worthy of of praise from my parents because I couldn't do my homework. So I like that you brought that up because I feel like we do see that a ton and, and parents really do struggle to, to help those kids with ADHD and, and they're, they really are trying their best. It's just hard to, it's really hard to understand what to focus on. And especially when you've got two kids <laughs> like struggling with different yeah. things completely. So. Yeah, it's tough. I remember that workshop. I had a lot of parents coming to me afterward being like, well, how do I reward effort for this one when the other one's more motivated by, you know, the actual end result and grades? Oh, yeah. And we got those questions at The ADHD ton. brains are, yeah. oh, you're right. Yeah, that'd be an interesting topic. But the, the effort or the reward for the effort, right, that leads to <laughs> failure, like you described that, the effort that leads to success, the effort, whatever it is, rewarding that would be huge mm -hmm. for these families. And that's where I really would like most people to I focus think that would on. Be huge that for would everybody. destigmatize. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it doesn't even matter if it's the fear is failure or the fear doesn't really matter. Just rewarding effort would be huge. Yeah. 
Okay. I do want to talk about a specific topic myself, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Lindsay. And it's this dichotomy that I see with success and failure. And it's this idea that a lot of people, when they try and make change, they're finally willing to do something different. They end up in this all or nothing thinking. It's like, I'm going to run a mile every day. And they might run as far as they can. Maybe they run three to four a mile. Great. They might run a mile. Great. But they try as best they can to get to 100% of that goal. But a lot of the time and very quickly, they end up getting to a point where they just say, if I can't run the full mile or if I can't beat the goal, if I can't study for the two hours or if I can't complete this homework assignment, I won't start. Especially for my ADHD clients, they have a hard time starting a project they know they can't finish that day. A project that takes multiple days is so hard for them to begin, even college students. And what happens is, if they can't do it 100%, which is considered success, it's automatically a failure, right? If they can do a half a mile, why isn't it a 50% success? Why don't we look at it as, well, you got halfway there. Great. What helped us get to that 50% success? Oh, what happened to the other half? You rolled your ankle? Well, now we learn how to avoid that in the future. Why isn't it this more data-driven idea of, man, I was successful in this way. I struggled in this way. How do I prevent the failures and how do I praise what I did well? It's hard. For a lot of people, it's, I didn't run the full mile. doesn't matter if I rolled my ankle. This is a failure today. I see this all the time with my clients. I want to get your view on that. Do you see that in your field? Oh, yes. Um, I actually have a pretty crazy story about that with one of my clients. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if anybody that's listening, or you, Ryan, I'm not sure, has heard of the 75 hard challenge. Have you ever heard of that? No, this is new. So the 75 hard challenge is a health and wellness challenge. And basically, it's 75 really hard days. And uh, what's included is you have to pick a diet plan. They're not actually very specific about which diet plan you have to pick. You just have to pick one and you have to stick to it. Then you have to work out twice a day for 45 minutes each. And one of those 45 minutes has to be outside. You have to drink a gallon of water every single day. You also have to read at least 10 pages of a a growth book, like a personal development book. Um, And then you have to take a progress picture every day. And all these things you have to do every single day. And if you don't, then you have to start over from day one. So if you get to day seven and on day eight, you missed even just one of those activities, then you have to go back to day one and you have to do it over and over and over again until you get to the day 75, which is considered a success. And um, this client talked to me and she was like, I need to lose 30 pounds. I don't actually remember how much it was, but she need, she wanted to lose weight. And she said she had done that challenge when she was in college, wasn't working, didn't have kids and was basically just in school. And uh, she lost 30 pounds or whatever amount of weight on it. And she found success. Now she had a full-time job. She had kids. She had a lot of other responsibilities. And she just went back to that challenge because she thought, this is what helped me before. And within one week, she had stopped. She gave up and she was so Mm. discouraged. She came back to me and she was just like, I don't know how I'm going to lose weight now. Uh, (laughs) I I can't complete this challenge. And 
you know, after, after going through that experience with her, I realized that there's like a difference between setting yourself up for failure and expecting failure during your process of reach going towards success, because we have to expect okay. that we're going to fail. And I think that's kind of what the 75 heart challenge, you know, tries to accomplish is if you fail one day, then you just start over and keep going. Um, but it's also not allowing for exceptions. It's not allowing for life circumstances. Like if you don't have 90 minutes in your day to exercise, it doesn't allow for you to make an alteration to that. And it doesn't really allow for a lot of growth because, you know, most people that participate, if they fail the getting to the full 75 days, they generally give up and feel more discouraged than when they started. And huh. in order to experience, you know, failure to help you grow, it's okay to feel a little bit of discouragement, but not so much that you're feeling defeated and that you can't keep, keep moving forward. And so that's what I saw with her. She felt so discouraged. She felt defeated. She felt like there was nothing else that she could do. But we kind of just went back to the basics and talked about why it was important for her to lose weight, what why, what were her main motivations and what her other options were. And we came up with a new plan. And, you know, it's redefining success. And I think that that's kind of what you were getting to is that if you have the idea that 100% is success, then you're always going to be falling short. Um, and if you have this level up mindset where, you know, you get from level one to level two, like we we're talking about with our skills from level two to level three and redefining success as moving forward, then we will be constantly seeing success and constantly being able to, to feel encouraged rather than discouraged. Thank you, man. There are a lot of people who have that one day where they're like, Dane, I had to like go to the hospital because my mom fainted or something and I couldn't do the challenge. And in the scheme of things, it's like of those 75 days, you could have missed one day for something that was more important. But yet you look at yourself and you go, well, I failed. I couldn't do the whole challenge because I missed a day. Mm -hmm. I am a failure. And what does that mean about me? I am unlovable. Uh, people can't get attached to me. Like we had these hidden feelings underneath all of that. It's very difficult. Instead, why don't we say I did 74 out of those 75 days? Right, we don't see it that way. Like, Dude, I did seventy-four if I could days. Do five days of that, I would be like, "Woohoo!" <laughs> <laughs> right, I barely drink a gallon of water. It's wonderful, but it's tough. And expecting failure versus uh, setting yourself up for failure—they are different. Which is a topic for today. But getting to a point where you're saying, "All right, there's something I have. If it's an unreasonable expectation." You'll know if you look at the data, right? This way I hinted at earlier. If you do something and you're not sure if it's realistic or not, can I be a millionaire in one month? <laughs> uh, well, we'll start trying to work toward it. I crunch the numbers after day two, crunch numbers after day three, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I can't do it. Some people maybe can, but maybe I can't. And that's the process of saying, I just track it. I see how I'm doing. I reassess and I change my behavior. And for her, that's what she's try trying to do. You helped her reassess redefine her success, adjust her behavior based off of that. And I don't know how she's doing now, but I hope she's in a position where she's able to keep making that growth. So that's wild though. 
Okay. Awesome. Then at this point, I do want to share a little bit of an idea. Because you talked about the the challenge I gave you a while ago. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought it up. And it was the idea of going out and failing. Um, I believe it was for when we started our business. Yeah. And it was like, make some phone calls. I can't remember exactly the context, but it was go and go until you fail a few times, until you fail five phone calls, whether it was like people hang up, people don't respond or whatever it may be. Um, and it does totally change your perception. Um, I'll tell you a story because one of my clients one time, it was so funny. Uh, I do this with people's social anxiety sometimes. It's like I go out there and I'm intending to connect with people and I keep connecting until someone disconnects from me. That's fine. And I'm expecting that. And I go until that happens. That's when I can stop. And this one person got four girls' phone numbers at a mall before <laughs> he stopped on his first day. And the reason why is because in therapy, he did such a good enough job where he identified, okay, how they respond to me, how they perceive me and my social skills don't really reflect my level of empathy. They'll reflect my value or how well I can hold healthy relationships. They don't reflect all these traits that he felt were really good that people may not be able to identify in a few seconds. And that probably, this is my headcanon, that probably influenced how he interacted with these girls. So you would go and talk to one, and it went way better than he imagined. Got a phone number. It happened four times until the fifth one where it didn't work out but he was supposed to go until he failed. I love that story. And usually it doesn't happen that way, of course. It's only but when you're trying idea. to fail that you succeed so many times. That... <laughs> Isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you go and you really are okay with failure, mm-hmm. that it happens that way, right? When you go and you aren't okay with failure, I find that my clients don't even start. Mentally, they know, well, yeah, failure is fine, but emotionally, if they can't disconnect from it, it's too much. They don't even begin. And that's a good sign to me that we're not quite ready for some of these interventions. It's kind of interesting. Hmm. It's almost like um, we hold ourselves back by just thinking that we have to succeed because we might succeed and we're like, woohoo, we succeeded. And then we don't try anymore. But it's almost kind of has the opposite effect when you are trying to fail. You push yourself a little bit more. And the more successes that you have, you get better and better and better and you just keep pushing yourself and if you were just aiming for the success you might not try as hard but that's just a random thought that i have we could talk about later but based on what you were saying i i think you're right some people won't take an action unless there's a 99 percent chance they'll succeed on the first try yeah right and if they won't succeed on the first try they continue to prep i have a client or i had a client that would continually try to make themselves look better, continually work out, continually practice skills with me, but they won't engage and practice in real life until they feel like they're 100% confident, it'll work out. It is so difficult for a lot of people. That risk of failing on the very first try is so great, they have to succeed the first time. Hmm. Man, um, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And unfortunately, we are out of time for today. But to wrap up, I think it would be really cool to talk about our biggest takeaways from today's episode. Um, I'll go ahead and start really quick. And, you know, this is 
<laughs> it's interesting that this is my biggest takeaway, uh, but you made me think about the projects that I had left unfinished and how, you know, that project was left unfinished because a lot of the things that I had to think about were time consuming and there were just a lot of factors that went into getting it done, including money. And I just, I think that was like, oh, it's kind of expensive. Like we can wait. But I think I was just holding myself back. I'm holding myself back from getting something that's actually going to help my career and help with a lot of different things in my life. And so after having this discussion today, I think it's just been a little bit of a motivating factor for me to, to get back into that. What about for you? For me? Yeah. There are a handful of things. The one that I'll probably ponder the most on is just the term failure. There are a lot of other things we can use and I have used with clients, but there are several times we both have used failure, the same word in the same sentence, but in slightly different contexts because the way I might use the term failure, which is very much maybe in like a mathematical way, like a coin toss in math, it's like, a tails is a success and heads is a failure and it's just like did it land on one side or the other it has no reflection on how the coin did it's just as how we tell or it's how we calculate uh the odds of one through another right and they use the term success or fail it doesn't mean the coin succeeded or failed right it's very mathematical in that way and so i'm trying to think about ways we could say it that don't have the same stigma and people and therapists come up with things like setbacks right? Or relapses or shortcomings or weaknesses. And they have all these things, but even then all of these have some sort of stigma. And in the end, it still comes back to, you know what? People need to be okay with fighting through that stigma and they need to have this perception of themselves despite any stigma, no matter what word is used. And so we'll continually use that word failure and success or the words failure and success. That's fine. But the stigma is something we'll always have to fight against. And having to work with families and professionals um, to figure out a way to make sure that these students, these clients, whoever is listening to our podcast, to make sure that they redefine it themselves too. Hmm. That's what I'm going to be pondering at least. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Well, we're going to wrap up today. And um, thank you guys all for joining us. We will be posting new podcast episodes every other Wednesday. So please follow us if you like this episode. And if you do, you'll be notified of when we post our next episode. We'll also put a link into the show notes of our social media platforms in case you want to follow us in between episodes as well. And yeah, I think that that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining, Ryan. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we, we head out? Nope. We love having you here. Thank you, Lindsay, for joining me as well. I'm really excited. I actually think I had a lot of fun. I was nervous as well for a little bit. And honestly, mm -hmm. this is what failure looks like. You and I jumped on being what I think is an example of two people that are just trying to help the world, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And I think starting a podcast is a really great example for our listeners to join us a little bit and see oh. Here are two people that are uh, not podcasters. They are a nutritionist and a therapist, and they're kind of going through this journey with everyone else. And this is actually really exciting. And all of you will find out that 
when you feel that nervousness, it's kind of weird to think about, but at some point that nervousness actually turns into excitement. Like you don't really fear it anymore. When you feel it, you get kind of this buzz. It's really fun. And so that's it for me. You can't really feel in other ways either. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. So I had fun today. Thank you for joining me. me. Well, thank you, everyone. Okay. Until next time. Take care.